Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Liz. Thank you. Hi, I'm Liz. I'm a compulsive overeater. So grateful to be here. Um, I also qualify as a body obsessor and a restrictor. I um, was asked to speak at this meeting, and my first thought was, I'm terrified of public speaking. And my second thought was, I'm not thin enough to speak at an Overeaters Anonymous meeting. Like, that's, that's my thinking, right? Um, to qualify, I am six years abstinent. I came into the rooms in October of 2011, um, absolutely broken, and I was on my knees. And um, welcome to the newcomers, and happy birthday. You know, um, if you're struggling... You don't have to do this alone, and um, there is a solution here. There's hope here, and I've found that here. Um, I'm so grateful. I guess uh, just to qualify here, so um, body obsessor and a compulsive overeater, I come from a family of addiction. I... um, my, on my dad's side, I'm actually Irish-Italian, so that's a great combo. Um, <laughs> come from the East Coast, grew up on the East Coast, and um, I'm so nervous. Just going to take a minute to connect. Um, so, you know, it was really important on my dad's side, the Irish-Catholic side, to be thin. That was the message that I received growing up, and um, my dad's side was very athletic. They did, you know, a lot of sports, tennis and football and hockey. All my uncles and my dad played hockey. I grew up on the ice, and, um, you know, my grandfather was the star football player at Penn, and, you know, my grandmother was a lifeguard until she was 82, and, like, it was all about, like, moving your body and being thin and outer appearance. Um, So my dad... uh, he was trying out for the freshman football team at his high school, and he didn't make the team. And from that day forward, he was shunned by his family. Um, the next day, he had his first beer. It progressed into marijuana, into selling drugs, and eventually narcotics and heroin. And he passed away in 2009. He was in recovery um, since before I was born. And he led a spiritual life. And I'm so grateful I had that kind of father. Um, He was incredible. On my mom's side, it was the Italian side. So it was about food and a lot of compulsive overeating. My um, mom's father was uh, an abusive alcoholic who, you know, you know, my mom was in South Philly, like going from bar to bar looking for her father to give um, her money for food. And um, my mom is a compulsive overeater. My sister is a compulsive overeater. They're both in the program, which I'm so grateful for. Um, and, you know, this program has saved me. I was killing myself with, with self-harm and um, negative thinking and 
um, negative behaviors around food and body. Um, you know, I, I, I have two mirrors in my, in my house, and I don't have any full-length mirrors. There's, there's a fat mirror, and then I have a thin mirror. And when both of those are fat, I know I need to go to a meeting. So that's why I'm so grateful for, for being, having so many meetings here. So just a little bit about my story. So I grew up on the East Coast, and, um, you know, I was just a regular kid. I was thin. I was well taken care of. Um, I remember, like, looking back at pictures of myself, and I was just well put together. I had matching outfits, and someone was always doing my hair, and I had clean shoes, and my needs were being met. And, um, you know, my dad would put notes into my little lunchbox, and, you know, like, I love you. Have a great day. And, um you know, food was never, I never remember that being an issue for me. Um, there was one vivid memory that I have at a young age of being at um, my babysitter's house, Susan Harmon, in Wilmington, Delaware, giving her a shout out. Um, and she made me a bologna sandwich, and it was like on white Wonder Bread with like the mayo, the like Oscar Mayer, like round bologna, like the, the yellow square, like artificial cheese. And like, I remember sinking my teeth into it and it like sticking to the roof of my mouth. And like, there's that exhale, you know, like, you know, everything's okay. Um, and that's what it's like to be a compulsive overeater. Like, I just want to be soothed. I just want that fix. Um, so my parents got divorced when I was about nine years old. And um, my dad moved out. And there was, like, no longer that kind of, like, regulation. I, I just remember my mom not being around. I think she was just behind closed doors sponsoring 20 sponsees um, and doing whatever she needed to do because she was in a lot of pain. And she suffered. Um, so... Um, I remember we had, like, a lot of, like, hoagies and pizzas and cheesesteaks being delivered. Like, this is East Coast. And um, I remember we had, like, this old-school, like, retro Schwann's delivery food truck. Like, I don't know if you guys have heard of that, but they bring, like, they deliver the food to your house and it's frozen. And, and there were, like, they were, we had our own special freezer, like, in the basement, and it had, like, corn dogs and Swedish meatballs. Like, we didn't need that much food, um, but I didn't have a lot of structure. I didn't have the tools to deal with pain of, of no longer having a father in the house, and so I would, like, do things like compulsively clean my room to, like, manage myself, to regulate myself, always, always regulating myself, and um, I noticed, like, in the pictures, looking back of, like, myself nine and ten years old, like, you know, I'm, no one's taking care of me. Like, I'm not wearing nice clothes. I'm not, my hair's a mess. Like, you know, I'm a chunky little kid. And I remember my grandmother and aunt um, approached me and said, we're worried about your weight and we care about you. And um, so my mom did the only thing she knew how to do, which was to take me to Weight Watchers. And at nine years old, I was doing, like, rocking to, sweating to the oldies, like, with Richard Simmons, you know, and, like, I would get a gold star, and I, you know, for every pound I lost or whatever it was, um, and that's what it looked like, you know, like, I just, I didn't know, um, I didn't know any better, and so, um, you know, we moved to Florida, my mom moved me, and I felt really powerless over that decision, because my dad stayed up north, and, um, you know, I needed to have a father in my life, and, I needed someone to take care of me. 
Um, so we moved and we got into a very extreme church that was, um, I want to say, cult-like, um, a lot of brainwashing, a lot of this is the only way. This is the only way for salvation or whatever. Um, there is no other way. Everyone else is wrong. Everyone else is bad. Very fear-based, very ego-driven. Um, and so I was around 12 at the time. My sister was getting married. Um, she is 10 years older than me. She ended up moving down to Florida as well. And about a week and a half before her wedding, um, I came home from school one day, and my mom was home, which was unusual. And um, I noticed, like, there was something, a, a ring on her finger, and I heard noise upstairs. And she had eloped while I was at school one day with a man that I barely knew. Um, and it was partial pressure from the church and partial pressure, I think, within herself to have someone on her arm at her at her daughter's wedding. I, I still don't know it to this day, but... Um, I think from that time forward, you know, food was the answer for me. Um, I did a lot of, of eating, and I shut down. You know, uh, there's a lot of dysfunction. Um, and, you know, I would come home, and I had that one hour of time to myself. Like, this, this man that I didn't know was invading my space in this tiny little condo, and I just felt so unsafe. And... Um, so the one hour between getting home from school and, and someone coming home was like, that was my time, you know, to, like, have my fix and, and sit there and watch Days of Our Lives and, like, get to, like, you know, grub down on whatever was in the fridge. And we even had this, like, <laughs> we had this little pig that would, like, sit in the refrigerator. It had a little sensor. When you would open the door and the door, like, came on, it would oink at you, and then you would close it. <laughs> So that's, that's what it was like living with compulsive overeaters. Um, this man was, um, I don't want to get too much into it, and I want to speak in a general way, but he was just obese and uneducated and um, a slob and, and didn't have good hygiene. And I was, I was really ashamed and humiliated uh, that this person was living with us um, in very close quarters. So... That really affected my, my sense of um, security and, and safety and just being, like, a young kid, like, you know, 12, 13, just trying to, like, get through in the world. Um, like, I just didn't know how to do life, and I didn't have the tools. And this program has given me a blueprint for living, which I'm so grateful for. So this is a progressive illness, um, which I've heard in the rooms before, but it absolutely is um, for me. That's my story. And... You know, in high school, I got into, um, I did a lot of performing musical theater and um, also played the flute um, pretty much, like, could have been qualified for Juilliard. Um, and, like, I really believe that that saved my life. I really, really believe that music saved my life. And um, I'm incredibly grateful for that. So this is a progressive illness, like I said, and it got worse. I mean, I, I did everything with food that you can imagine. Secret eating, um, you know, I would try and diet before I would go and see my dad up north because I felt incredible shame about my body, um, and I wanted him to be proud of me. I, I was always seeking that outside approval, and um, I've, I've done, you know, drive from fast food restaurant to fast food restaurant. I've done um, starving, restricting. I am 
a failed bulimic, even though I tried so hard to be. Um, I, I've done it all. I've picked food out of the trash. I mean, there's nothing that I haven't done here. And um, in, let's see, once I got into college, it, it got really bad. I, you know, my freshman year, everyone gained the freshman 15. I gained the freshman 50. I would have lunch down in the quad, and someone would knock on my door and be like, hey, have you had lunch yet? And I'm like, no. And I would go and eat another lunch. Um, I was just really in a lot of pain. I had been suppressing a lot of rage and anger and sadness over just abandonment. And, um, you know, I found I found that that relief in food. That that was my relief. I got to numb out and and I'm rubbing my little heart right now just thinking about it, like how much pain I was in and wanting to soothe myself. Um, and just doing my best. I think that's the thing. I was just doing my best with the tools that I was given. So um, getting into college, I ended up, um, it got really bad with the restricting. I was restricting with a sorority sister, and we were just starving ourselves, um, you know, eating calorie-free foods and browsing anorexic websites and, um, you know, pinching our, our body fat and whatever it was. And, you know, I have both sides of this illness, you know, cutting up my food into little pieces and having no appetite. And then, um, you know, a, a big piece of my my eating disorder is, like, restricting through the week and, like, having that structure and control, you know, and then um, going crazy on the weekends and getting drunk and, you know, um, you know, I would, I would actually get high so that I could um, be able to binge, and people would be like, oh, she has the munchies, you know. Like, no, I wanted to be a compulsive overeater and eat whatever I wanted to. Um, so let's see, getting into my late 20s, um, I, um, I really was, work, I was working for an abusive boss, and um, my eating disorder got so bad. It got so bad, and I thrived on people's acceptance of me and my body and um you know it was people constantly commented on my body all the time of how thin I got that means I'm good when I'm thin then I'm good if I'm overweight then I'm bad right like that's the message that I received at a young age and um it just got really bad and I was a mess like I would have one meal a day one small meal and then drink coffee for dinner coffee for dinner. That was the best that I could do at the time. That's all I knew how to do for myself. Um, I have this memory that uh, I was actually, I had just gone to a jack-in-the-box on off of 3rd and Fairfax. I was living in West Hollywood, a miracle mile at the time. And uh, I was binging on jack-in-the-box in my car at a red light. And I went on my merry little way, and I went into work the next day, went downstairs to the little coffee shop, and the girl that was ringing me up said, hey, weren't you in that, do you have a silver whatever car? Um, weren't you at that light on 3rd and Fairfax? Like, you were grubbing down on that food. <laughs> that is incomprehensible demoralization. That's what it looks like when I'm not in the room. Um, like, God, the shame I felt, the shame I feel even, like, thinking about that. Like, gosh, you know, like, I was just doing my best. Um, I was 26, and my father was dying. Um, you know, he was one of my heroes, and I'm so grateful. He taught me a lot, and he was, like, a mentor to me. Um, 
and it was just so painful. And uh, he ended up saying uh, that he was so proud of me because I got, I was thin, you know, I got down to a certain weight. And little did he know that, like, I was starving myself, you know. And, um, you know, it, it's just, it's so sad. But um, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful. I'm incredibly grateful for my story because, um, you know, I get to look at what I went through and, and you know, what it's like now. So um, I guess I can start with what happened uh, to get into these rooms was I was doing one of my crazy dieting uh workout plans, whatever, I've done it all, and I was working with a personal trainer at the time, I was probably about 28 years old, and I was trying to lose weight before a trip to Vegas for my boyfriend's birthday, and um, I was doing, like, this crazy workout, and these, like, push-ups, and I had weights in my hand, and doing burpees in the middle of the gym, and I stood up. And I remember so vividly, just like, and I share this story so often because it's so pivotal in my in my story. I dropped the weight, and I just started bawling. And the the personal trainer was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" And he was like, "What's going on?" And I was like, "It's too much pressure. It's too much pressure. I can't take the pressure." And he said, "Who's pressuring you?" And I said, "I don't know. I think me. I'm pressuring myself." Um, and he just so happened to be a life coach and he stopped the session and sat me down. He ended our session, sat me down and, um, he asked, what's going on? What's really going on here? And I admitted out loud, like, I think, I think I might have an eating disorder. Like you guys, I didn't know that that wasn't normal. Like I didn't know that my behavior of like obsessing with my body, obsessing around food, isolating, like just just the insanity around my my dieting and my my body. Um, I didn't know that that wasn't normal. And um, so I called my sister, and she was my Eskimo into OA, which is a miracle. She said, why don't, you, why don't you just try an OA meeting? And I used to go to OA meetings with my mom, so I had, like, a little bit of resentment about it. Um, but I went. You know, I showed up to the meeting, the anorexic and bulimic meeting on Robertson, and I just, I just sat and cried. I couldn't. I just bawled my eyes out. And I heard something that I needed to hear, and I just kept coming back. And that's the only thing that I've done perfectly. I just keep coming back and showing up and doing the work. And, um, you know, I, uh, you know, I had a tough time, like, understanding what this program was about and what the 12 steps were about and reading from the big book. Like, it's kind of like a little folk tale, you know, like these guys from the 30s, you know, just, like, writing the story. And um, I just didn't get it at first, but I just, I kept coming back. Um, about eight months into program, I went through a breakup that was um, really devastating, it was someone that I thought was, I was going to marry, and I'm grateful that it didn't work out. He wasn't my person. But it took that to really, really get me on my knees and to really surrender to this program. And I moved into a little studio apartment, and I started working the steps and working the program really, really hard. And um, I've had so much, so much relief from this, um, from working the steps, from working with a sponsor, and just doing whatever you guys tell me to do. And um, I guess one of, maybe I can talk about my experience with the steps. 
One of the most powerful experiences that I had was in working Step 9 both times. I'm on Step 10 2.0 right now. Um, but I've had tremendous experience of, of healing around the ninth step, um, one of which was just this past uh, ninth step a few months ago. I made an amends for spending, basically taking my friend out in New York City uh, to dinner, to an expensive $300, $400 dinner, and putting it on the company credit card. And I never owned up to it, and I felt so much guilt for the past, I've been at this company for eight years. So I went into my president's office and I um, I had a check written out for the amount that I thought it was that I owed and I just had a very simple amends to him that said, you know, I, I said, um, eight years ago I went out to a dinner and this is what I did and his response was, thank you, I'm not going to take this check. You've made, you know, you've made up for it a thousand times over. We're so lucky to have you on our team. And then he said, what's prompting you to, to say this eight years later? Like, if you don't mind me asking. I was like, you know, just, you know, like, self, you know, like, working on myself, you know, trying to just, you know, like, make things right from the past. He's like, oh, you mean an amends? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that was so healing. And um, I have another amends of, um, I borrowed a fur vest in 2005 from one of my best friends. And I went to a club in it and sweat in it and spilled beer all over it, and I returned it to her dirty. And it is a little thing that she probably wouldn't even have remembered. But for me, this is what I eat over. This is what I eat over. I eat over the guilt and shame of the things that I've done wrong, the mistakes that I make. Um, So I had she and her little daughter over who had just turned two. I had a little princess mermaid theme party for her, just the three of us. And I handed her a note with... um, what I thought was the amount, I called around all the dry cleaners in the Long Beach area, and the average price was around $40. So I had $40 in this note, and I wrote a card to her saying, thank you for your friendship. I owe you money from this thing a long time ago, and I explained it to her. And she was like, thank you so much. Like, I love you. You're such a good friend. Like, and I'm like, you're such a good friend. And we hugged it out. And she's like, I don't even remember that. Like, you know, it, you know, and, um, and so the next day I was cleaning out my purse and I saw an envelope and I turned it over and it said, I love you. And inside was the $40. Thank you. So um, one last amends I wanted to share, um, which is probably one of the most powerful for me. It was with my one of my old best friends uh, from high school who was my sidekick and she... Um, her friendship saved me. Like, she really, it was a really deep friendship. She came to visit me in L.A. Um, just before I started program, and we got into a huge fight, and I kicked her out of my apartment. So I didn't have her number anymore. I didn't know how to get in touch with her, so I sent her an email and made an amends for my behavior, thanked her for her friendship. And her response was, Dear Liz, I'm so happy to hear from you. You have always, I've always loved you and your beautiful family, and um, I've always been grateful for your friendship. Things always work out for the best. 
The day after you kicked me out, I went to a theme park and met my now husband on a ride. I now live in the Middle East, and I have a six-month-old baby girl. And that, to me, is like everybody has their own higher power, you know? Like, it's just such a miracle that I, like, get to do this stuff. You know, like, it's so, it takes so much courage. It takes so much courage, and it's a miracle, you know? Like, I don't have to eat over it. Um, so what it looks like today, um, you know, I, you know, my life has changed so much, like, not just on the outside, but internally, um, I've changed as a person, like, you know, I still want to keep myself safe, but, you know, I'm able to connect with others today, um, I'm able to practice self-care and take care of myself. I make my bed every morning. I pack my lunch. I floss my teeth. I have a regular doctor and dentist. Like, before I came into the room, I never went to the doctor or dentist. The receptionist at my doctor's office knows my name, like, knows my voice, like, when I call and say hi. Like, she's like, oh, hi, Liz. Like, hey. You know, um, that's that's a miracle. That's a miracle, you guys. Um, And... Um, my abstinence, my bottom line is no binging, no restricting. So I try to eat three meals a day. Um, I try to be active. My three biggest tools that work for me are meetings, meditation, and gentle, loving exercise. So meetings help me connect with other people, with my fellows. You guys love me before I could love myself. Um, meditation helps me to connect with my higher power. That's my, my way of conscious contact. Um, because I can't do it by myself. I need I need something greater than myself to to help me with my compulsive eating. Um, and then gentle exercise gets me into my body. You know, um, it could be yoga, it could be a walk, it could be stretching. You know, um, and those three things are like my biggest tools aside from the steps and sponsoring and and having a sponsor. Um, outreach is a big tool. Um, I have had a rough couple of months. I want to say that it's been sunshine and rainbows, but it hasn't. I've had a difficult time in my relationship. Um, I've also gained weight this year as a result of being in a, in a relationship, um, of having a bigger life and going out to eat more and, and having fun, you know. Um, and I just need to look at that, you know. I get to keep it simple. I get to go to a meeting and, like, follow a food plan. Like, that's it. You know, they say this program is simple and not easy. Like, that's it. It's just, it is simple. Like, all I have to do is show up and just do what my sponsor tells me to do. Um, my relationship with my family and friends is, is amazing. Like, my relationship with my mom has healed, you know. Like, I used to have so much resentment towards her. Um, and she actually came to visit for the first time in 13 years. And um, she was always afraid to come here because she wasn't thin enough. And it's a miracle. Like, we had the greatest time, and we have a great relationship today. Um, my sister is my best friend. We used to talk about diets, and now we talk about higher power. Um, you know, and I don't hate myself today. Like, that's the biggest thing. I don't hate myself. And um, it's a miracle. Lastly, I think I just want to talk about um, things that bring me joy. Like, that's something I need to work on. I don't really know how to have fun. Like, my my growth was stunted by this disease. It's hard for me to have fun. Like, and so 
you know, sometimes I have to write a list of, like, what are some fun things that I can do? Like, I love reading. I love doing yoga. I love going hiking and, like, you know, um, going out to dinner. You know, I love to eat. Like, um, but I just... I'm grateful because I get to explore that. You know, my life isn't over. It's just beginning, right? So just a new chapter and more will be revealed. And I am, I'm still learning. That's the biggest thing. I'm still learning. And I have so much humility today. I mean, especially after this year, um, it's so, so much humility. So um, I think I talked enough, and we'll end there. So thank you so much for letting me share. So I think there's a few minutes for any questions. Yes. Thank you. Thanks. The question was, um, how do I stay abstinent when I'm returning to the East Coast with the Italians and, and the, that whole thing? Um, I actually travel a lot for work and for a living, and these podcasts are one of my lifelines. Um, I just, you know, I've... I have a toolkit with me today. So um, sometimes it looks like I have to plan ahead. You know, I look at, um, you know, I'll, I'll Google some restaurants, healthy restaurants, or I'll come up with a plan or commitment with my sponsor. But it's gotten easier. Like, it's definitely gotten easier. The thing that I need is routine. Like, I have to create a structure within my living environment. So when I'm traveling, I was just in New York yesterday and all week, and I'm traveling next week and the week after and the week after. So um, I kind of create a new normal in each environment that I have. Yeah, thank you. Anyone else? How did your second um, great step differ from your first great step? Mm -hmm. How did my second ninth step differ from my first ninth step? Um, let's see. I think my first ninth step was incredibly terrifying because it involved other people for the first time in the step. Like, you know, one through eight, I'm only involving myself. And then the ninth step is like, oh, my gosh, I have to like, talk to other people and admit my wrongs. And I think it was, I don't want to say easier the second time around, but I was just incredibly humbled and able to really look at, like, okay, what are some things that maybe I wasn't willing the first time to do um, and and go from there, so. Um, how do you meditate and, like, hear your higher power? Thank you. The question was, how do I meditate and hear my higher power? Um I do. I have a little app on my phone with a timer and with guided meditation, which is really helpful for me. I do different forms of meditation. It could be silent. It could be timed. It could be to a guided meditation. Um, and sometimes I want it to be like this big God in the sky that's like, Liz, do this today. Like, And it, it doesn't look like that. It's usually like I have to... I've, I've read in the OA 12 and 12 that the only form, true, nature's true form of permanence is repetition. So if I'm doing meditation daily, 
um, and make it a practice, I am just kind of like, I eventually connect with my higher power and like my intuition starts like, it really starts tapping into my intuition, I guess. Um, so, it's helpful. The question is, thank you, um, do I still get an urge to binge and how do I work through that or, you know, um, the answer is yes. You know, I haven't been 100% relieved of that that urge to to compulsively overeat and I still do some grazing. I, I've done this imperfectly, but... Um, I think I think just the more I work the program, the more meetings I get to, the less, you know, but when I am in a lot of pain, I do want to, you know, sometimes I have to white knuckle it. Sometimes I have to call someone, make an outreach call. Um, sometimes I have to go on a walk or take a shower, um, read a book, distract myself with Netflix. Just sometimes distraction is, is okay, too. Like, um, and I think that's my time. So thank you all for letting me share. <laughs>